Hey, it's already been just a great, great morning, not only in the first hour, but the second hour in these many, many facets of worship this morning. So thank you for being here. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and put your place there. Uh, either turn to or turn on your digital device if you're watching uh, online this morning. May the Lord bless you guys. So glad that you're here watching online. And as you're turning there and you're finding your place, 1 Kings 17, notice to my right, to my left, up in the balcony, for those of you over here, you can look up over this way and vice versa, and you see these uh, colored sheets that are up there. And these are representative of something that is coming up in just a couple of weeks, and that is Summer Spectacular. Now, what each one of these pews represents are a number of people. So we've covered what we believe is roughly 90 seats. And so throughout the service, we want you to remember that number, 90, as you look up there. And what this represents are 90 volunteers that are needed to minister to these wonderful, precious children that come in to Summer Spectacular in just a couple of weeks. And you can find out more information in your worship bulletin about the time, or the dates rather, and go right out here to my right out here in the Welcome Center there and find out more information about how you can volunteer. But here's what we need represented in these 90 seats. We need 29 adults, and then we need one rec leader, recreation leader, and one nurse from Wednesday to Friday. How do you like that for specificity? We need those individuals, adult-wise, and then the rest are really students, so roughly 60 students. And so mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, if you're thinking, what are my kids going to do on this particular week? I've got something for them to do, right? They can come and help us serve. And what a beautiful, beautiful time it is, not only of serving, but of sharing and loving these kids that God brings under our care. And so we want to serve them well. We want to serve them as well as we can. So 90 people, 29 adults. The rest, students, sixth grade and up, you need to be a member here by way of our guidelines when it comes to security, you need to be a member here for at least three months. And so a couple of stipulations there to protect, uh, to protect our families. But at the same time, please come. We need your help. Please come. And then representing children is this wonderful young lady here, Stella. This is Stella Bishop. Stella, come on up here. Stella is going to be our reader for this morning, and she did a fabulous job the first hour. But this is Stella, and she informed me uh, earlier. You remember this? I asked her, how many days of school left? And she's, she's going into the fifth grade. She's almost done with fourth grade. And initially, she said three days, so she's got it counted down. But then she whispered to me up here first hour, it's really two and a half days. All right, so she's two and a half. Two and a half days from the fifth grade, um, Michael and Caroline are just wonderful, wonderful, uh, a wonderful couple. Michael's faithful, faithful deacon. Caroline in the, in the children's area just serves with great, great hearts, both of them. We love them. Uh, you have a brother named Colton, and we chose Stella over Colton. That's all right. Colton might have his turn one day. We're so proud of her. She represents... Um, not only our students, and we want our students to grow in the Word. Amen? We want them to know and love the Word of God. But she also represents Summer Spectacular because she's been going to Summer Spectacular ever since she was six months old. She's on it. Ever since she was little, she's been a part of that. So you are seeing the fruit of what a, a thing like Summer Spectacular can do, but you're also seeing the fruit of a church that longs for the Word of God to be a part of our kids. Amen? So will you please stand for the reading of the Word this morning. 1 Kings 17, as Stella leads us this morning. Now, 
said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook which I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So we went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Amen. Amen. Stella, thank you. We're proud of you. You may be seated. May the Lord bless uh, the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. And so where what you have in front of you in this little passage is really the beginning of a new segment, a new phase, if you will, among the children of Israel. So in our reading plan, let's catch up together here throughout this past week. We've left Solomon behind. Solomon was king there, and so we move forward roughly 60 years to a time in which the kingdom is divided. So now there is north and there is south. The north is called the kingdom of Israel. The south is called the kingdom of Judah. Judah is really just one tribe. It's much, much smaller. The kings in the south are somewhat okay. The kings in the north are awful. Every single one of them. There is not one king that walks in a moral, spiritually upright way. And God tells us about it through the scriptures. So Ahab, the person that you see there, is the seventh king in the north following Solomon. And just like his father, just like his grandfather, just like the kings in front of him, not only is he a wicked king, but the scripture says in chapter 16 at the very end that there was no other king to this point that was as wicked as Ahab. Now that's saying something. And here's the the reason why. Two reasons. One, he married a woman named Jezebel who was an awfully, awfully wicked partner in the kingdom. Wicked, wicked queen. And he went up to another nation and in a political alliance, married uh, the daughter of the king of Sidon and brought her back and she ruled and reigned and caused all kinds of problems. But one of the things that she helped reinforce was this worship of the god Baal. Now, Baal is a significant god throughout the passages that you'll read uh, throughout, the, really, the Old Testament because uh, the god Baal is really one of those, those gods that are, are central to that particular area because he was the god supposedly of rain, of dew, of bringing the water that is needed for the crops and for prosperity and success for the nation. Economically, this god was incredibly important to the point where by the time of Ahab, they're already in part depending upon Baal. Even though they're supposed to be the children of God, they're kind of supplementing their worship of God with Baal. And then when Ahab and Jezebel come in, they just go full bore with it. They, they bring Baal worship to a whole different level in that, in that not only does, does uh, Ahab in the new capital of Samaria, because now the capital of Israel is in Samaria, the capital of Judah is Jerusalem, but in the new capital of Samaria, he builds not only an altar to worship Baal, but he builds Baal his own house. And so it's appalling to God and to the 
ones who are truly following God to understand that this man is leading the nation in this way. This is why he is more wicked than any of the kings who had come before him. So that's Ahab. Now, enter Elijah. Here he comes, this figure who is from, as Stella read, from a region uh, called Tishbe. We don't know exactly a whole lot about this region. Um, Tishbe in Gilead. So they believe it's on the other side of the Jordan River. And the word Tishbe literally means like an unsettled place. So they kind of think that Elijah is this figure that kind of travels and he's unsettled, kind of out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. And he kind of fits that bill because when we read about him in 2 Kings, they describe him as wearing uh, clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around him. So let's just put it this way. Elijah's not a good old city boy. He's a good old country boy. He's from, the, he's from this region over there. So he walks in verse 1, and makes this bold pronouncement. He makes this pronouncement that God is going to take on Baal. How so? Look at it again, verse 1. He walks in to Ahab and says, here is what the Lord God of Israel says to you. He says to you that there's going to be no more rain or dew of any kind except by my word, for years to come. So you think, okay, no big deal. He's being a meteorologist here on behalf of God. It's a big deal because what he's saying is, Ahab, you have given the kingdom over to this God and God sees it. He doesn't like it. And God is going to take on your God and he's going to take on you because my God has told me that there's going to be no rain or dew. Get it? He's taken Baal on. There's going to be no rain or dew until he says he's going to prove he is almighty God, not only to you, not not only to Jezebel, but to the whole people. And so Elijah's heart is full because he is doing what God has told him to do. The God before which I stand, verse 1. I've been before him. I'm marching into He comes walking out of the palace. Man, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty bold prophetic word I, I delivered there. And man, I, I hope he got it. God, what's next? God, how are we going to show Ahab and Jezebel What's next? Because God, you are you are needing to work here. There's no word of God here. I'm so glad you chose me. I'm so glad I'm here. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. What is next? And what's next totally surprises him. Verses two through four. Read it. What's next totally is unexpected. It's mysterious. Stay in Samaria? No. Go to seminary to learn? No. Go to a leadership conference to learn? No. Go get counsel from other believers to find out what... No. Verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, now leave. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, for a country boy like Elijah... That might not seem so far-fetched, but there's no timetable associated with that. There's no sense of, of understanding what it is that God is going to teach him other than this. You obey, and you are now going to enter into a new phase that is totally different than your expectations and desires of what you should be as a prophet. Now, understand this. Elijah is a pretty famous prophet of Israel. 
In fact, some would argue, along with Moses, he's number two, Moses and Elijah. They appeared with Jesus. When Jesus walked on the earth, they were transfigured there. Jesus taught with them. He's only the second person at this point in Scripture that doesn't die. He is carried up in a chariot up into heaven. This guy is literally indestructible. You, you, can't, you can't kill him. He is going to go to heaven not tasting death. That's a pretty big deal. There's a picture I want to show you. This is kind of the image of Elijah that we see as he's standing um, over one of the prophets of Baal that you can read about or that you read about this week in chapter 18. He's standing over the prophets of Baal because this is this great story, how that years later this prophet's going to come in, take on the prophets of Baal, God's going to win, and they're going to slaughter all of these evil evil prophets. And this statue sits on top of Mount Carmel. You can go there today. You can see this. I remember being there. And it overlooks, I think it's kind of symbolic here, because it overlooks the Valley of Armageddon, which in the book of Revelation reminds us that this is where the forces of God are going to meet the forces of evil there on that valley floor and overlooking it is this figure named Elijah. So when you think of this guy, you think of power and you think of God doing what only God can do through him. And you think of all the miracles that he and his, and his mentee, Elijah, are going to perform. But what we don't realize is to get to that point where God does something that only God can do, something else has to take place. Pause right here just for a second. What is it in your life? And some of you are in a bind. Some of you are in a struggle. Some of you are in a pinch right now. Some of you have decisions to make. Some of you are struggling with prodigals or in a marriage. There is something in your life right now, and you've walked in here brokenhearted, wounded, and you're saying, God, you've called me to a point where only you can do by your power what needs to be done. That's not a bad place to be, by the way. Only God, you can do this. Or maybe, maybe God is calling you to do something, and there's nerves there, there's fear there, there's uncertainty there. And God is calling you to do something. And you know in your heart of hearts, he's, he's designed the circumstances and fitted you to do this well. And, but you're saying to yourself, only God can work through this process and do this. And this is where Elijah is walking out of the palace. God, only you can do this. Let's go. But here is what he didn't, he didn't understand, that in order for God to work through Elijah with the fire of Carmel years later, God had to work on Elijah in the quiet wilderness of the brook Cherith. God's preparation always comes before God's process of powerfully working through you. And so this morning, here's my heart for me and for you, whatever it is that God's calling you to do is to understand this fact that God wants to work on you before he works through you. And there's a preparation that has to take place. And it happens here not only in verses 1 through 7, but you can read ahead. The rest of chapter 17 is all the preparation. It's three and a half years of preparation for Elijah before he shows up and God's power breaks out. 
So let's look at this preparation this morning as quickly as we can. Number one, God's preparation is different than your desires or expectations. So here, in your mind, you have something that you think you need to do, and you think this is, this is the plan, this is the way, this is the pathway to get there. But God always has a way of doing, thing, doing things differently than your desires or expectations. This is mysterious here. He sends the prophet, the powerful, bold prophet, away to hide in the middle of nowhere. Our God works in mysterious ways because he wants to prepare us in different ways than we desire or expect. For instance, yesterday, right here in this room, there were 500, 600, there were 700 registered. We don't know how many were here. For the Voice of the Martyrs Conference that we held here, a regional conference, so you had speakers here from different places, and they've served around the world on behalf of suffering, persecuted Christians. And it's a powerful day. I was here for most of the day. And one of the stories that um, one of the individuals told was the story about a man who was being beaten in Iran. So he was in prison, and they were beating him every single day. And um, they played uh, the audio of the radio broadcast where one of the Voice of the Martyrs guys were interviewing this missionary. And so you're hearing the words of this missionary as he talks about being in jail, and he's being beaten, and he's, um, every day this is happening, and God speaks to him and says to him, listen, um, I am teaching you a lesson in all of this. Here's the lesson. This is what he said. Here's the lesson I'm teaching you to love your enemies. And he's like, really, God, now? <laughs> This is the lesson you want me to learn. How about getting me out of prison? How about getting me out of beatings? And, and then I'll learn this lesson. And God says, no, I want you to learn this lesson. And then he says this, God switched his agenda. God switched the, 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 the understanding of what he was doing. Because he says this, okay, I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself something. What do I, God's asking this, what do I think of the one who's beating you right now? What does God think? He sent his son Jesus to die for that Iranian guard that's beating him, right? And he says that God switched on him what he was trying to communicate, what he was trying to do. And this is what God does often with us in our desires and expectations. God often switches the setting. God often switches the circumstances. God often puts us in different places where we begin to understand, God, you're preparing me in different ways. How does God prepare Elijah? He prepares him through the timing he knows that Ahab only has some years in which to deal with this, but he doesn't know how long, because he says in verse 1, there's going to be years that pass by, but he, when he's called to Cherith, he doesn't know how long he's supposed to be there. Training-wise, training, the training that God is going to do there as he's by this brook, this brook named Cherith. The word Cherith literally means to cut away, to separate, to kind of to kind of cut out, and they believe that in the hills across the Jordan River there, in the hills are these little ravines and these little wadis that over time water has cut out. But why God chose that name? Go to the place of the cutting away. Here's one thought. This was the place where powerful, bold Elijah was going to be humbled and understand that the only thing that he had was God himself that he could not be self-sufficient, that he could not be self-trusting, that all he had learned before God as he stood before God, 
All of that was helpful, but yet he could not march on with what he used in the past. God was going to cut away his self-sufficiency. God was going to cut away his self-trust. God was going to carve out a man who was so dependent upon him. And then he learns trust, timing, training, trust. I love what God says to him. Depart and hide or conceal yourself. Now, why does God say, Elijah, go, go hide? Why don't you just say, Elijah, go live? Elijah, go, go prosper as much as you can in the middle of the wilderness. Now, he says, go hide yourself and conceal. You know what I think it is? Part of it's protection. Ahab raises his, his fist at Elijah. He's running out the palace. I'm going to do away with you. Wait till me and my wife get done with you. He's running out of the palace. Maybe protection is part of that. Allowing God to work a little bit through the years. But I love this word hide. And it's a place in which God sometimes takes you and me and he takes us off center stage to the, the things we think we should be doing with great energy and great passion, the things that we need to be engaged in. And sometimes God, how he does it, I don't know. But sometimes God takes you and he hides you away for your protection. He hides you away and conceals you because he wants you to trust him more. I love in Psalm 17, the very same word that we find in 1 Kings 17. Psalm 17 says this, I will keep you as the apple of my eye and I will hide you, same, same root word, in the shadow of my wings. For some of you this morning, God has taken you off center stage and he's hidden you away and it hurts and it's uncertain and God is working and he's stripping and he's cutting away. And part of it could be that God is protecting you from something, but the other part is God wants you to come into such a deep abiding trust with him that he is everything you need. That's what God does sometimes. So I was talking with someone who was incredibly close to me not long ago. And um, he was sharing about some of the things that he'd been going through in his life. And he had lost his job, had a great job, but because of the company and changeover in the company, he lost his job. And he he um, couldn't really land in a place in which he was comfortable, where it was working out. So it was another job and another job in his career. Bright, bright guy. Lots of potential. And then his marriage. His marriage um, was really difficult. His marriage was something that um, he would say both maybe were, were trying hard. He was trying hard. It just Something's not working. Something's not right. He's at this stage in his life where he said it was almost as if God had forgotten me. Um, he used this great analogy. He said, you know, like when you're driving in the car and you have a piece of paper you're looking at or maybe a receipt or something like that, and it slips away and it falls down into the cracks of the seat and it goes under and then you forget about it. He says, that's how my life felt, tucked away under there. I don't know what some of you have under your seats. Some of you moms in your bands, I, I, I don't dare look and see what's under your seats food-wise, right? 
He said, as if God had forgotten me. But then he said this. He said, it was during those times where I felt forgotten that God was actually there. And God was, was, was working on me. And God, I knew when I was there feeling tucked away that God was protecting me. There were decisions I was thinking about making that God said, no, you can't make. There were things I was thinking about doing that God was like, no, and God was working and God was moving. It was hard to be hidden. But that was the place where God protected and that's the place where God provided Listen, listen, the hiding place is a place where we naturally don't want to go sometimes, but sometimes it is the only place where God chooses to work. And I would encourage you, run to this place of hiding. Run there and understand that God has carved out not only a place, but he's carving something out around you and in you to do something remarkable later. So look at verse 5. Verse 5, Elijah obeys. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan River. Number two, obedience opens the door to God's protection and God's provision. Notice what it says there in verse four. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. I took comfort in these simple words in my hair journal this week. I have commanded the ravens. If you go to the next story, you read on. He goes up to a widow there in Zarephath who's going to provide for him. I have commanded the widow to provide for you. Verse chapter 18, go to Ahab because I will send rain. Here is what we think of obedience so often. And some of you, the question is not what God is doing, but the question is, why aren't you obeying? The question for some of you is simply, why aren't you stepping out and doing what God has carved out for you? You've been in a place of hiding, now it's time to go. Why aren't you obeying? And here's what we think, because we're in control of everything. We think that obedience it brings with it some sort of, of risk, and we're uncertain. That's why we don't make a move. We're fearful. But obedience opens the door to God's provision and God's protection. Obedience is the means for us to step into a place where we see God provide in a brand new way, where we see God protect in a whole different way. And we see this throughout the New Testament, or the Old Testament rather, when God tells the nation of Israel, hey, I've sprung you out of Egypt, you are free now, you walk in the wilderness, I'm going to bring you to the promised land, I'm going to do what? I'm going to provide, just like the ravens, I'm going to provide food for you and I'm going to take care of you while you're in the wilderness. And I love how Elijah and these stories continually point down the line to Jesus himself. The closer and closer we get to Jesus, the more we begin to move through the kings that can't do it, through the prophets which point to him, the closer and closer we get to Jesus, the more and more the light is coming on here. And we love how Elijah points to Jesus. How so? Well, he is the forerunner of God's power and glory. And Jesus says, Elijah the prophet is the one who is best understood in through John the Baptist who makes the way for me. So Elijah's already pointing to Jesus. And then Elijah reminds us that in the wilderness, as he obeyed God, as he was faithful to God, for God to work through him, so it is with Jesus, who 
was in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, in those Judean hills somewhere for 40 days before, like Elijah, before he went into his ministry. And it was there that God provided for Jesus as he endured against sin for you and for me. How so? How did he do that in the wilderness? Because this was the training time. The tempter comes. The evil one comes to get him to sin. And Jesus is faithful. He hangs on. He's starving to death. He's tempted, tempted to grab what Satan has in front of him. He hangs on because he knows this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of a life. He's got three more years of hanging on outside of the wilderness where he doesn't sin. He pushes back against sin. He has obeyed. Obedient to the Father who is faithful to him all the way to the cross. And when he hangs on the cross, Philippians 2 says, he is obedient even unto death. You know why he's obedient unto death? He's obedient unto death so that, so that if I turn to Christ and trust in him, I can have my sins forgiven and I can find my way into the family of God through this power that comes through the cross. But you know what else it provides for me as well? Not only forgiveness of sins, but it reminds me that I can't be obedient like I want to. I can't be as fully faithful as I want to because I'm weak. But because of Jesus, who went to the cross and obeyed perfectly, not like me, but perfectly, and as he finishes the work, he reminds us that I am the bread of life. And you come to me. And when you think you cannot obey, and when you think you cannot be faithful, understand that in your weakness you can't. But as you eat of the bread of life, as you eat of me, you can find the forgiveness and mercy and strength to faithfully obey. It is only in Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the gospel ahead of us. That's the only way you can obey. It's through Christ. You can't will your way through it. You can't moralize your way through it. You only go through the bread of life he was given for you. You come to him this morning and eat. And look at how Elijah then moves forward. God says, verse 6, verse 6, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. How would you like to see this scene on DVR, right? I mean, is there a certain place where Mr. Raven drops off the food? <laughs> Do they have a conversation when he drops it off? <laughs> What's that like? Think about that. Just physically, how does that work? Alarm goes off, time to go meet Mr. Raven with the food, right? But every morning, can you imagine I wonder if Elijah ever got tired of the miraculous supernatural intervention of God to command a raven to come and bring him food. And as he does so, here's what he thinks. If God can command a raven to take care of an old prophet like me, God can do his work against the mighty, mighty prophets of Baal. He understands, number three, that God's faithfulness today is a sign of his faithfulness tomorrow. He has learned to understand what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not huge and mighty and powerful fire from Carmel. Faithfulness is day-to-day -day provision, trust, thankfulness to God for what he's done. 
This is what faithfulness is on God's part to us. And this is why Jesus said, hey, when you pray, he says, Don't, uh, pray, give us this what? This day, our daily bread. He didn't say, give us in 2018 what we need to plan out everything for 2018, 19, and 20. I need that. And Jesus isn't telling us to pray, give us this day our daily bread and forget everything else, to cause us to live on the edge. He does that so that we live in great dependency upon God with everything we have, trusting and hanging on to God while we hold everything else loosely. God's faithfulness today is a sign of his faithfulness tomorrow. Here's what some of you need to do. You need to write down in your journal. You need to write down today. You need to just reflect and say, how has God been faithful today? And then tomorrow, understand he will be faithful as well. And then number four is found in verse seven here as we close. So the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, when the brook dries up and maybe Elijah's seeing it, he pauses and he just goes, what next? What, what does this mean? This means that this gig is up. That um, is, is it time to go somewhere? Is, it, is God, are you done? Is it time to move into Samaria? And I look what Chuck Swindoll said. This is point number four. Chuck Swindoll says this, a great book on Elijah. He says, dried up brooks in no way cancel out God's plan. They simply bring on the next step. I love that because then he's going to follow. He's going to follow to Zarephath, and then God's going to lead him to, to Samaria and back to, to Mount Carmel, rather, and to, and to fight the prophets of Burial. But here's what we often think. When the brook dries up, when we get to a place where we think, oh, no, maybe that's not the end of the story. Maybe that's just the beginning of the next chapter. So let me encourage you, church. Where are you this morning? Where are you in the thing that you need God to do? that only God can do. Only through his power can he accomplish it. But then I want you to just set it there for a second and take a step back from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and say, God, I know you have an incredible plan, but God, this morning, this morning I step back and I ask you to prepare my heart. Prepare me, God. Whatever it means, cut away, shape, mold, pull out, heal, prepare me so that I can be ready when you do that incredible thing one day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word from your Holy Spirit, which reminds us that we are human. Every time we see these characters, we remind ourselves how weak we are, how frail how impetuous we can be, how reckless sometimes we can be, how limited we are in our own understanding of not only what you want to do through us, but what you're doing in us. So would you work among those that call themselves followers of Jesus this morning, prepare their hearts for the, the next step. And then Father, for those who aren't followers of Christ. May they see this Jesus we describe today. Sinless, suffering for them. May they run to him. And may they find forgiveness and mercy in their sin. And would you make them new by the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.